Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Parts Unknown. I'm the man that gravity forgot, Matt Davis. We're recording this at the end of May, and you're listening to it on the 4th of July, which means England are still well on their way to winning the World Cup, and things have passed without violence, racism, homophobia, or sexism in Russia. Speaking of which, we're discussing 2006 WWE and WrestleMania 22. We're in Chicago's All-State Arena, which is the venue for Money in the Bank 2018, of course. We're here for an 11-match card, headlined by Big Match John up against Triple H. More on that in a moment, but first, let's introduce the other members of my faction. Hillbilly Anton Tolui. Hello there. The Mouth of the South, Carl Anker. There will be blood. And Carrie the Brain Done. Hello. So, Michelle Williams of Destiny's Child uh, looked rather nervous as she sung America the Beautiful. I mean, big time is the tagline of this event. Surely they could have stretched <laughs> to Kelly Rowland at least. Oh, no. Um, we've got... We've got Blood, we've got pile drivers, we've got a Playboy pillow fight. Dr. Dunn, has this aged well? It has not aged well. Um, so, strangely, before I watched this WrestleMania, there was a repeat of um, one of those talking head clip programmes on Channel 4 or Channel 5 this weekend. Um, it was all right in the 70s, and I was watching that, and it was like, okay, I'm watching like, horrendous racism and sexism and homophobia and just terrible stuff that was okay to be on telly in the 70s. And I was thinking, hang on a minute, I'm going to watch WrestleMania 22 tomorrow and I'm going to see the entire same thing, but only kind of 12 years ago. It's terrible. It's really bad. And I cannot believe that this is post-millennium and this was still deemed acceptable, even in WWE. There's lots to go at here, but I think we're going to start with Edge versus Mick Foley. The first thing to say about this was Joey Styles replaced JR behind the booth for this one for some strange reason. Um, he did a good job of calling out Jerry Lawler on, on his usual bullshit. Remember when Joey Styles knocked out JBL? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great man. Yeah. And, and Steve Blackman. And, and apparently like it, it, that kind of coincides with JBL going from sort of chauvinistic bully boy oaf to um, charitable do-gooder... Seemingly nice guy in 2018. So, so well done, Joey Styles. Publicly, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Publicly. he's raised a lot of money for charity, hasn't he? So people can change. Maybe it was that smack in the mouth that woke him up. Anyway, back to the match. Um, I love Mick Foley. Like, I really, really love him. His book is one of his first book. First of the 17 autobiographies he's written is generally, genuinely, probably my favourite book of all time. I'm, I'm quite confident in saying that. Um, but. As much as I loved watching him around this kind of time, around the 2000s when I was kind of late teens, early 20s and like the kind of hardcore stuff, I watch it now and just think, what, what's this about? Especially at this point where he's the size that he is, um, he can't really move particularly well. We, we're told that he wants a WrestleMania moment and when you look back on it now, Anton, this is this is considered to be his WrestleMania moment. I just thought, more of my note is this is all rather unpleasant. Yeah, I put down what I presume his his inner monologue in my notes, which is put, I can't retire. Oh no, I'm massively punch drunk. 
Oh, I might possibly concussed. Oh, shit, where's the next paycheck coming from? Oh, I'm missing the limelight already. Oh, let me just say my catchphrase one more time. Bang, bang! And that's it. That's basically in terms of... Because he put himself through hell for for no reason. He's, he had a legacy. We, you know, we all love Foley. Annoyingly, I know I loved this match when I watched it first time. Look, it's still a good match. It's a good hardcore match. You know, let's be honest. This is what this match, these matches are supposed to be like. This is what hardcore matches. He shouldn't have been. He shouldn't have been in it, of course, because it's quite cruel to watch a man of his size and sort of health problems in that position. But he's still capable of having a good hardcore match. Carl, as a as a wrestling historian that you are, I'm sure you will have gone back and watched some of those amazing ECW promos that Mick Foley cut, which are up there with the the best promos that there's ever been in wrestling. I think. It's so strange, isn't it? The juxtaposition of this highly intelligent, you know, emotionally sensitive, almost brilliant guy in a lot of ways. And then the person who just feels this need to hurt himself to the point where he's got a new hip, he's not very mobile and and feels like this is the way that he will get respect in his industry rather than, as, um, as Anton said, you know, the stuff that he'd done before this kind of slightly gross getting beaten up by somebody bit. Yes and no. I I really liked this match when I watched it the other week. I I, I still really like this match. I I I think it's quite cool that Mick Foley wanted a WrestleMania moment and then he got one. Because you look back at how many WrestleMania has the build of this is going to be the dream match, the work rate match. This is going to be a once in a while, like um, something really memorable, and we don't get it. And in the bizarre pocket universe that Mick Foley exists in with Terry Funk and a bunch of other. The hardcore legends, they got their version of a moment, which is a man wearing barbed wire around his chest, only to be re- like to reveal that later on. And That's it's a horrifically violent match, and this is a horrifically violent WrestleMania. Like, there is so much blood. Um, but if Mick Foley, you know, I've said this before about other wrestlers, if they want to get their head panned in one more time to get someone's attention or prove they can still do it in someone's eyes. I'm not really going to say no. But I think Matt's point, and I can see Carrie's sort of face, I'm pretty sure she wants to chip in, so apologies, Carrie, um, is that one of the things that, one of the reasons I love Foley is the emotional vulnerability behind him. And that is the problem because you don't want it to be exploited. And that's probably why people feel uncomfortable seeing Foley in the ring. I mean, I'm not a fan of hardcore stuff anyway. And I think that's one of the reasons I find Foley quite an ambivalent kind of figure to respond to because all those things that Matt was saying about him are true. He's kind of articulate, he's literate, he's emotionally sensitive, he does all these great campaigning work for the sexual assault charities and you kind of think, yeah, that's great. And then I watch him in the ring and it breaks my heart to watch hardcore matches. I don't like watching people get hurt. That isn't what I watch wrestling for. If I wanted to watch people kind of genuinely fight, I would watch boxing or I'd watch MMA. It's the theatre of it that I don't like so I can watch some spots like the flaming table thing and I can appreciate the theatricality of that where there's blood, where there's the barbed wire, that kind of thing that's just a little I don't know, it makes me feel sick to watch and I couldn't watch this properly I've just written make it stop, make it stop repeatedly in my notes. Um, what, what do we think about Edge's contribution to this match it's, it's quite a sort of startling image at the end him literally shaking as he's covered in blood, it's like a it's like a slasher movie rather than a wrestling match This match is rapid, it goes at such a quick clip, they go from barbed wire spot, thumbtacks table, the thing about the table watching back in hindsight is that Foley gets the table, puts the light fluid on it, 
like that's half the bottle and then Lita gets the rest of the like empties the rest of the bottle what are you doing that is wholly unnecessary but this was in that phase of WWE storytelling when there were three or four wrestlers and the gimmick was you have to go through hell against McFoley and then you will be you get some sort of bizarre kudos. So, you know, Triple H did his one in 2000, which is a match I feel very uncomfortable watching. Um, Randy Orton had his one with this thumbtack moment. And this is Edge's one. And Edge, you know, we speak very highly of Edge and like how he very much cares about, like, he's a theatre nerd. And he, I don't know if he's legitimately twitching or whatnot, but there are two or three things in this hardcore match, whether it's accident or design, he is reminding you how incredibly painful this match is the fact that when he gets the pin he's got this weird twitch on the hand and I know you can't plan for your left eyeball to be covered up in blood when you're being walked away and Lita's like carrying you away but that's those are your shots those are the photographs when you want to say what is hardcore match like is that also credit to Lita she holds a lot of this together and takes a beating as well took a Mr. Socko wraps in barbed wire so she bled from the mouth I mean it's it's, it's real this match yeah (laughs) Yeah. it goes beyond violent whimsy doesn't it but then I don't want to come across as sort of defending WWE or anything but in terms of there was a market for this you you know we can't say oh we love the old ECW we love all this and then when WWE tries you know tries to offer its you know its version of the product it it has to compete it has to show, you know, if this is what people want, this is what we're going to provide. And this, it, in terms of a hardcore match, as Carl said, this is a good match. Like, of its genre, it's a very good match. It's rapid fire. It's, I mean, thumbtacks are the one thing I really struggle with watching in W. Every, every other spot I can kind of deal with. Thumbtacks, I don't know whether it's, whether it's just because they're in, like, a teacher stationary cupboard. Yeah, so you working kind of know in an how office environment yeah, makes exactly. it very real, doesn't it? Exactly. Um, and the, what they called, or the oral surgery bit with the, like, the mandible claw in the, in the mouth of the barbed wire. And there are so many good spots that I think show how just brilliant the three combatants were how they produced it how they sold it how they all thought about every so in terms of if you want to watch a hardcore match in wwe you're struggling to find a better one than this which i think you know deserves a bit of credit even though it is uncomfortable watching foley have to do this and it's uncomfortable like you said carrie in terms of what the you know what the people in the ring have to go through but it's still a good match yeah, it was a good match. We'll, we'll move on. I'll just finish on that by saying if you if you are relatively new to WWE, um, it's worth checking out um, the Mankind documentary, which is on the network for for like a good comprehensive overview of his career. Anton, I just feel like we. I've got to say one thing about them. we usually sort of have to chip in with the usual horrible comments from uh, Lawler, and when uh, Edge is about to lose his hardcore virginity, we can't say the same about Lita. And oh, um, this this was a stage when Lita was kind of overly sexualized. And I just think that shouldn't be forgotten in terms of what, how much she had to put up with and still came across as the coolest thing in WWE. Next, we're going to go to Shawn Michaels versus Vince McMahon. Um, Vince, he just gets beaten up in, in these kind of matches. Stone Cold, Hogan, Brett, Shane. Um, and as producer Ben has pointed out, he's a terrible blader. Uh, he's not very good at concealing that. It's all very weird. Um, he did give... The middle finger as he was being wheeled out, which is which is peak Vince. Um, Doctor Dunn, why is Shawn Michaels in this match? <laughs> I don't know. What a way I, to I waste Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is in this match because Eddie Guerrero is not with us anymore. So we talk about all the amazing, well, all the things that this WrestleMania has. WrestleMania 22 is also the WrestleMania that is very much a direct response to Eddie Guerrero's passing. So you have the triple threat match. 
that we'll talk about in a little bit, where Randy and Kurt are basically could just go into Remister. Eddie's dead. You're, the only reason you're here is because Eddie's dead. Um, and one of the plans for either WrestleMania 22 or WrestleMania 23 was apparently Eddie Guerrero versus Shawn Michaels, which was a feud we never got on television before. Which there are at least three different ways they could have done that. Who's the best? Who's the best champion? Uh, we're both new, uh, newfound again Christians, uh, and we didn't get that. And instead, we got this gleefully, terrifically violent match. Instead, that was about three years too long. It went on forever. Actually, it might not have gone forever. It just seemed like it. How so, long was it? it? It was too long. Um, <laughs> second longest match of the night, by the way, eighteen oh, minutes. What what made them think that that was an acceptable length of time for this? Nothing happened that was at all interesting. Although I did enjoy Shane saying that WrestleMania is um, Vince's greatest creation. Poor McMahon children. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have no self-confidence at all, do they? Um, <laughs> size of Vince McMahon. The, yeah, well... Yeah. And the colour. The, yeah. well, the colour looks like he was dared to black up and then bottled it at the last minute and just diluted it. Um... I would be intrigued to watch this match without JR on commentary. J- oh, oh, JR wow. goes bonkers here. Yeah. Uh, Vince is a son of a bitch. He's going straight to hell and he can't wait to get there. Hit him in the head, shove it up his ass. <laughs> Shane is the demon seed. Uh, Shane just got his ass buried in daddy's crack. But at one, po- <laughs> at one point, he goes too far and you can tell he gets told off in his ear because he goes, Vince McMahon's on Queer Street. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> Oops. He, like, 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 he's like a man that is trying to adjust his use of language after one of his kids has come out. In terms of he's still going to say the same things, but go, uh, uh, but, but uh, it's fine. I didn't mean it like that. It was, oh, it was so awkward. Um, it, we could do a whole show on this, but, but just briefly, Anton, explain to somebody who maybe isn't aware of the history between Vince and JR and why JR might have gone on like this. I'm thinking every time there's a WWE show in Oklahoma, um, kiss my ass club potato by triple h some kind of thing it's a kind of he's almost like a sort of abused dog it doesn't matter how many times you kick him he'll come back with his tail wagging and, and you've got to remember so jr ass. was vp of talent relations so he the, wa- the, the most unpleasant job arguably in the company you have to deal with wrestlers saying i haven't got enough money and then you have to sack them basically. yeah exactly That's the job you get blamed for the booking you get blamed for the contracts you get blamed for the travel you get blamed for everything so at least JR was the voice on air. So that was the kind of the one thing in terms of made him legitimate within the wrestling community, I suppose, or, or amongst the company of the company staff. He was untouchable because he was so good on air. You could gripe about what he does day to day, or you know, you could call him sort of you know Vince's sort of lapdog or whatever. You know, in terms of but, but the problem was then in terms of bleeding into programming, they started to humiliate JR. And there was a movement within the company to obviously get JR out and bring in new talent and that kind of thing. And obviously not just not just on air, but also bring in new people sort of, you know, to, to take his VP role as well. So it all just got very, very unpleasant. Lots of backstage politics and just and it just bled into into the into the script as well. And it was just so when JR loses it, you can't help but feel he is that's this is him talking and this is I'm, I'm sure during this i'm no proof i'm sure he is getting shouted at in his ear for the entirety of this match because there is no way that most of that stuff was you know was you know greenlit after rehearsals um i recently read jr's autobiography which obviously is called slobber um 
People who who don't like wrestling, like you say words <laughs> like slobberknocker, and they're kind of oh, oh, that. That's not a word. Um, he tells a fantastic anecdote about when he and Vince were in Vince's car. Vince playing ACDC at full blast, just shouting, "I'm a fantastic driver, pal!" at him over and over again until they stop the car, and Vince farts and farts and farts to get a reaction out of Jr., who just no sells it the entire time, and you think. It's a billion-dollar company, and this guy runs it. Um, who could fart on demand that much? He eats a lot of protein. Yeah, he hates sneezing. Yeah, true, good point. And well, it's, 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 so he holds it from his nose, and it goes mysteri- mysteriously through yeah. his body and out. It's like end. how you reverse the flow of a figure four. <laughs> Let's move on from this match. Um, I, I, I really wish I hadn't watched it again, but there we go. The Spirit Squad that made me laugh. So I forgot Dolph was in Spirit Squad. Yeah, there's a bit where Spirit Squad come in and try and, and beat up Sean and one of the members just sort of wipes his butt on the ring like a dog. Uh, I thought, ah, the Spirit Squad is a terrible gimmick, but some of those boys saw it completely like down the line. So fair play. And we know that Dolph Ziggler was a Spirit Squad member, but um, was it Ken Doan? Was that his name? He had a little run as well, didn't he? Had a match with Ric Flair at Royal Rumble one year. Well, he came back a couple of years ago as well, didn't he? Mm. Kenny and I think another one came back. Yeah, and he's he's still on the Independence, I think. Trying to get well, trying to get booked on the Independence. Right, next we're going to go to John Cena versus Triple H, a.k.a. Cena goes from gangsta to gangster. Um, Dr. CM Punk was a wise guy. He was part of uh, the entrance here. That, that, that happened. It, it was a thing that happened. I've written, Cena is planning to shoot people with a gun. I don't care. So, yeah, I, do, I don't... Again, I didn't watch this at the time. I don't have the context apart from what I've seen in this show, and it seems very odd to me. What what was what was the what was the idea behind this? Well, in Chicago. Wasn't yeah, apart it? So, from that. So, in terms of well, it, it was just no. But just I think Chicago. I think that may have just been it. Yeah. Okay, because Chicago. <laughs> yeah, that was it. I mean, okay, a bit, a bit fine. Many bad WrestleMania entrances. Yeah, he did. Um, he did, but what? How? How unintentionally hilarious was trips on his wobbly throne yeah. as Kona? <laughs> Well, he looked like a poorly designed Warhammer character, didn't he? <laughs> so the great thing about it is that Triple H was meant to be Conan's son in Conan 3. So if Conan the Barbarian, the end of both Conan the Barbarian films, it cuts the flash forward, very, very old Arden Schwarzenegger, who's the, finally the king, and it goes, but there's a reason why Conan's face looks wary. End. The plan is Conan 3 starts off, and it's Triple H as Conan's son, who is just being a genocidal maniac around the land and Conan played by Arnold Schwarzenegger has to go rein him in um, so this is around about the time where Arnold Schwarzenegger pops up in episodes of Smackdown that's when that's finally going to happen so yeah it, it's sort of like the closest Triple H ever got to being a Conan character <laughs> which, uh, which makes me laugh and yeah, the, the little wobbly hammer makes me laugh a lot should we, should we describe Cena's entrance? Because I feel like we're going to talk about the entrances more than the match itself. Yeah. So, so the entrance, Cena's entrance is you. It starts with a, a VT of what you know Chicago was like in the 30s and 40s, uh, which basically just glorifies the actions of Al Capone and the street violence, which killed hundreds of people in the city at the time. Which is really odd message considering anyone brandishing a gun on the streets. I tended to think was pretty negative. Um, and then you, they come in with the whole sort of almost Bugsy Malone-esque kind of car and there's you know clearly some developmental talent sort of dressed up as, as mobsters with walking around the ring with Tommy guns still very odd obviously Punk's one of them uh, who's the other one there's someone else in there one of, um, is it is it Zack Ryder as well I think it's part of the group I'll take your word for it 
So they kind of surround the ring. Then Cena comes out, obviously to his normal music, because that fits the narrative, wearing an overcoat and a bowler hat. So looking like a what a steroid pushing Hyde Park stripper. <laughs> Streaker. I, I thought a flasher. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because yeah. he had his shorts on underneath. Exactly. And then and then he gets out his own Tommy gun from behind his gun and shoots it in the air. And there's no pop. There's no real pop. For Cena at WrestleMania in the main event. I just think everyone's baffled. Okay. This is the closest right. CM Punk will ever get to main event in a WrestleMania. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of, I just, I don't know whether they were just trying to pander to the crowd because it's about Chicago, the crowd would get really into it, or whether they were trying to say, oh, you know, he's a, because they were pushing the whole scene as a gangster kind of thing. It said, in terms of one of his logo, it just said the word gangster at the time and that kind of thing. So I don't know if they were just trying to sort of go down the historical route of being a gangster oh, or. Particularly proud of their street crime and gangster history. I mean, you, you presume not. No, I wouldn't have thought so. And also, it comes back to that thing we spoke a couple of weeks ago. Um, the majority of a crowd at WrestleMania are not going to be from the city, so those jokes always, always sort of die on their ass a bit. This is the last mania held in a regular, in regular sort of ice hockey basketball arena. This is the last. This is the last one of around nineteen thousand before they go to the big sort of stadiums and completely monetize WrestleMania. And it's interesting because a lot of the times, and it's a Chicago crowd anyway, but a lot of the times they are not behind the man they're supposed to. And the commentators don't know what to do. And it's it's really, really evident that WWE had a sea change after this and just went, we cannot do this again. We need to go, some, we need to put it on a big stage. We need to be able to get more of a commercial crowd. More, you know, in terms of we need to make sure our, we can almost control our product as well as monetize it. And I thought this... Is this match actually kind of shows you why they, they decided to go bigger afterwards. Yeah, this is similar to... So you think about it, this is a year on from John Cena being crowned, the champion of finally getting to the main event and being the champion. And this whole game fight is Triple H saying you're not a real champion until you defeat one of the old guard, which is one of my favourite versions of Triple H. But they like JR and comms clearly haven't figured out that people don't like Cena because Cena's reign was nine months and he drops it to Edge and now he's, he's going to get back as well. Um... And it really reminds me a lot of the fan revolt at WrestleMania 34, which is commentary can't understand or like realise what to do and realign at when the fans revolt against who you're supposed to be the face. Um, the true MVP of this match is JR. Again. Oh, and there's a great moment where Triple H goes for a low ball and like legitimately gets the referee in the nuts. <laughs> uh, that ref is not selling. That ref has been hitting the balls <laughs> and it made me laugh loads. That's, that, that is the only real note other than the STF I have about the actual match in my notes. In terms of, I was not, I just, I struggled to watch the match. I struggled to care about the match until the low blow moment. Because it, it was just nothing, the match was a nothing match in terms of actually what happened. It was, this is the main event on your biggest show. Okay. Anton says he struggled to watch it. Um, last question on this to you, Doctor. Last week we um, spoke about how well Shawn Michaels did to make Cena look credible at the previous Mania. How good, bad or indifferent a job did Triple H do in the same role? Triple H does a less good job at that because he's Triple H. Um, moving into current, modern-day Triple H mode and... Yeah, the grandio grandiosity and pomposity that goes with it. Nice. That's a great place for us to take a break. <laughs> Don't go too far, though. When we come back, we will be talking the other title match of the night. And it was a triple threat. Hold up. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to Parts Unknown. Right next up, we are going to talk about the triple threat match between Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle and Randy Orton. A notable uh, moment this, a notable period in WWE history, Anton, because Kurt Angle had a visible neck at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely played. Nicely played. Um, Did we need a live performance of Booyaka Shah, which in my opinion is the worst WWE entrance (laughs) music Ever. But when you've got a Native American headdress on for some reason, it does legitimise P.O.D. being there singing this sort of Just looked like a big camp quality. eagle, didn't he? Yeah. And he came through, so obviously he had his usual entrance from below. This the is Rey Mysterio, Rey not Mysterio. Kurt Angle, Sorry. by the way. Oh my God, yeah. That. <laughs> yes, I'd love to see that. Uh, and then you, and then you lose Rey Mysterio for 30 seconds as he runs up to join the band and then runs back. It was all very odd, wasn't it? And normally when you get the, the big entrance with the live band, that means you lose him. But obviously Ray won this match. Carl, the reason that he won this match, the reason that he was in it was because one of his friends died and they kept beating us over the head with that. Um, we obviously had the horrible... Uh, we can't specifically blame Randy for this, although he said it. Obviously it was written for him. Eddie ain't in heaven. He's down there in hell in the build-up. Um what, why why do they feel the need or did they feel the need to to do this this kind of horrible bullshit at this kind of time because professional wrestling plays right on the line of decency constantly uh so we were you know we were on this podcast uh, for t- wrestlemania 29 and we were talking about how do we feel about the paul bearer stuff before, between cm punk and, and the undertaker how, how do you feel about the Eddie Guerrero stuff, because there's so much Eddie Guerrero stuff painted all over this WrestleMania. There's there's a moment where, in another match, where one character tries to do the three amigos and then tries mocking one of Eddie's remarks. And Kurt also goes in and makes, you know, derogatory comments towards Rey Mysterio. And you're going, right. There is Eddie Guerrero, husband, father, amazing person doing that and there's Eddie Guerrero the character would Eddie Guerrero the character mock someone else's character dying in wrestling I don't know he probably would because Eddie Guerrero's whole thing was I lie I cheat I still I use whatever thing I can do to get an advantage so I guess in WWE's mind it's okay for Randy Orton and Kurt Angle because they're like "Eh, Eddie would have made fun of us but also it's so gross and it's so gross about like how they belittled Ray and it was never about Ray and then when Ray eventually does overcome he has what is known as the one of the worst runs as a champion in WWE history he's losing every single week on Smackdown because Vince never believed in him and it's one the 
I think that's what makes it even more uncomfortable because it's not this man's friend has died and he has put himself together and he's gone off in a way and his boss has gone, wow, that's amazing. I'm going to give you more responsibility because of the way you've like contributed more. It's just someone in WWE going, huh, well, that Latino character is dead. Let's put that Latino character in his place for a little bit. Uh, oh, it's not going to really work. So let's abandon this after a year. Um, Carrie, I think the difference between the Paul Bearer stuff, which I wasn't a fan of, and this, which I think is even worse, is that Eddie Guerrero, perhaps you could say indirectly, we, we know that he had problems with recreational drugs as well, but he died of a heart attack in his 40s, which is something which is linked to steroid use, basically. And that is something to do with him wanting to have the best wrestling career that he could possibly have. That's why I find this to be in particularly, particularly poor taste, because at least to some extent wrestling and therefore by association wwe played a role in his death so that's where i find it a worse line to cross than paul bearer who died because of something non-wrestling related yeah i mean i think i think i think you're right in that obviously wwe played a i guess you say played a part in his death but i think so that about you know a lot of the wrestlers who have died too young and WWE don't like acknowledging that they have responsibility for any of it, which, I mean, last week we talked, we touched on the Chris Benoit incident and WWE's complete kind of retconning of history there kind of whitewashes over the fact that they also might have some kind of responsibility there that they could have actually done something about it because there was clearly something not quite right there for a very long time. In terms of the Eddie Guerrero thing, I think also partly it feels uncomfortable because it's his real name and it's difficult to get that separation that Carl Mm, was talking about between Eddie the person and Eddie the wrestling character because, yes, I think Eddie the wrestling character probably would have used the death of somebody in character. But, yeah, Eddie the person is a slightly different is a slightly different thing. It's difficult to navigate that that kind of tension, that dichotomy between the two eddies, I suppose. So I, I also feel a little uncomfortable by the fact that, as Carl kind of alluded to before, the death of Eddie Guerrero was the push for Rey Mysterio in terms of his career. And, the, and the, of course, it's the reason that Vicky Guerrero became a wrestling character. This, this was... Not the first time we'd seen her because she'd been involved in the in the Ray and Eddie feud um, from a year before, but she was out on the stage with Chavo at the end congratulating and she would obviously go on to become a regular character. And you see how nervous and awkward she is. And obviously it's an emotional, emotional night for her and it was the night before. But, but for her to be thrust into the limelight and and adopt a character and all that, kind, all these things that would have been really... She, I've just got nothing but respect for that woman in terms of how she handled it at the time and then what she became on to become uh, in WWE and submerging herself even more into the world that Eddie was in. How can you do that and not just how can it not emotionally cripple you when you've lost someone that close to you? I, just what a woman. A quick word on the match after, uh, after we've, we've got the Eddie Guerrero stuff out of the way. Um, it was it was pretty good. It was it was sort of a little bit shorter than I thought it was going to be, Carl, and kind of buried in the card a bit. And I guess that speaks to the whole we're not really behind Ray thing. But you've got as much as we criticise Randy, we know he's a competent worker. You've got three very very good wrestlers in this match, and I kind of felt five minutes more. This would have been a memorable match. Yes, Kurt, Kurt Angle with a neck is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Uh, Kurt Angle, nineteen ninety seven, is 
one of the greatest year to, like January to December years of wrestling. So it's like Kurt Angle ninety seven, AJ Styles two thousand sixteen, CM Punk two thousand eleven, maybe. So when Kurt has a neck and wants it, Kurt Angle's the best one of the best belt to belt performers you've ever got. Um I've got it in my notes. Randy Orton looks like he gives a damn. Yeah, <laughs> so, I've, I've got I, I, I've got pretty much the same thing. I like this version of Randy. He's smug, he's smiling, and he knows he's better than you. That's when Randy's at his best. Because that's just Randy, right? Yeah. It's him being himself rather than doing weird things that you can't do because he's a terrible actor. Uh, and Rey Mysterio is great. It's, it is weird that he wins, but obviously the whole thing about Rey Mysterio is never about Rey Mysterio. He's just essentially an avatar for our grief around Eddie Guerrero. But I think this is a great match. Five minutes more would be amazing. Also, commentary is all in on how amazing Kurt Angle is and how he is so well protected in this match. He gets at least two or three of those Hulk Hogan oh yeah, you beat me, but they're I made you tap, or I uh, I think he makes someone tap, and he also gets a moment where it's very clearly would have been a three count. Um, which is weird in a match that should be about Raven Mysterio that you spend so much time talking about, looking about how great Kurt Angle is. But Kurt Angle really was great at that time. I want to move on to next, the first proper women's match that we've seen in years coming down to it. Trish Stratus versus Mickey James. Whatever happened to Mickey James, eh? Uh, she'd been obsessed with Trish in the build-up to this. Um, she was really, really good at it. Uh, Carrie, we, I, I think that perhaps you and I are going to have um, one of very few differences of opinion here in that I it played into I will give you that it plays into the stereotype of one woman in a feud in WWE has to be crazy that's the way it goes but if you look at it in isolation the actual storyline and the way they played it out even though it's quite a played out thing was done really really well and the hype package played into that like Trish played her part brilliantly Mickey played her part brilliantly if it wasn't for the fact that it was a kind of sexist trope this would have been a good wrestling angle culminating in a good match no yeah um i don't have necessarily huge problems with the narrative i do kind of with again the forced kiss when mickey kisses trish when trish is kind of down and out and i find it kind of particularly kind of bothersome because it comes after well after boogeyman's kiss Charmel, that's it. And it's all kind of, oh, Boogeyman just kissed her with a mouthful of worms. It's disgusting. And they're kind of, well, no, it's disgusting to kiss people against their will, which is trying to get away with, which trying to get away from you. And it's the same thing for Mickey and Trish. It, it's, it's not better just because it's women and you think that's titillating. That's still dodgy. But I guess you do have kind of the heel face angle. So there is that we're at least supposed to think ostensibly that uh, the person doing the kissing is heel. Although, you know, lesbian, it's sexy, isn't it? It's fine. No, I liked it. I think it's a good match. It starts off really quiet with the crowd responses and they're bumping their backsides off and they're working so hard and they draw the crowd into it. And I'm kind of sitting there cheering them on because I'm so proud of those girls to actually fight against what WWE set you up with. Um, putting you on in the middle of the card in a filthy, dirty ring. Good luck with those staph infections you're going to get, ladies. Yeah, I thought they did a fantastic job. Carl, Trish Stratus is a Hall of Famer. Mickey James will join her one day, won't she? Oh, yeah, guaranteed. Give us something to do now. Uh, so we're recording this just off uh, Raw happened yesterday and they had the women's gauntlet match for Money in the Bank. And Mickey James kind kind of had a thing to do. This is, this is the thing, like she, she spends so much time just stood next to Alexa Bliss where I'm going, no, she's an amazing heel and an amazing face and she can 
go bell to bell. Fantastic. Great acting ability and can do funny, which is so rare in wrestling. I really wanted to have a character outside. I stand next to the younger woman on WWE program right now. Um, yeah, the best thing that Mickey James has done recently in WWE is when it was the Women's Royal Rumble and she just stood opposite Trish Stratus and went six with her fingers. Like, I'm one off equaling your women's title and I want her to get there. I want them to hurry up with it. Get on with it. <laughs> I kind of see Anton, her future in the performance centre coaching women's wrestlers because she just seems like she's kind of quite a parsimonious person. And She is a wonderful person. I was really lucky to... Um, the backstage at Raw uh, last month, I was... Uh, doing stuff for Sky Sports, uh, doing interviews for Sky Sports News and got to spend some time with Mickey and got to interview her and sort of a chat. And annoyingly, I watched WrestleMania 22 two days afterwards because that would have dominated our conversation and probably made her feel quite uncomfortable. But um, <laughs> she she's the best seller in the women's division on Raw at the moment in terms of if she, t- she took a... She takes bumps from moon and sells the eclipse she you knows the moment she's she's on the on the house shows when rousey is booked she's doing she's the person who's in the matches she's the one who's kind of putting the time in with with bliss um in terms of so uh, she's kind of the ultimate team player at the moment she's loving her run back even though she doesn't really have a role and it's really interesting so one of the questions that I got to ask her was about the age thing that came up in the storyline previously with bliss last year and she, she, she opened a match. Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it was disappointing because you know I'm in my mid thirties, late thirties, and no man's age has ever mentioned. And you're just like, great. So you've actually got a con. You're happy. It's not talking out. Just being honest about storylines as well. And she's just brilliant. She's just, just, she is brilliant. This match is the best women's match until WrestleMania 32 because it's, it is a, you know, it's, it's a legitimate match. The only thing that spoils this match is JR's commentary. Not not Lawler, it's JR who, spo- who spoils the comment who spoils this match. Because it is a fantastic match. Are we gonna discuss the crotch grab or are we gonna <laughs> Go we- for it. A moment of overt physicality is what JR describes. Yeah, as. so if you watch it back on the network, obviously you get the edited version where they cut to the cut to the crowd. So what you don't see is Mickey James lick her fingers after she's grabbed Tris Stratus's crotch. Which fits perfectly with the storyline, which is wonderfully grotty and porn styly sexy, if you see what I mean, in terms of it's kind of what overt, over, overtly sexy, titillating kind of way. Mickey James is a star. Mickey James is an absolute star. To be apoplectic with rage after that moment, um, which is one of those odd things where you've just had Edge and McFoley bleed all over the ring and do terrible things, but a woman mimicking. Conalingus is what really truly repulses you. Wrestling brains. Very strange. You're listening to the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast from Muddy Knees Media. So that was a really brilliant women's match. Lest we forget, there was also a pillow fight between uh, Tori Wilson, Avec, Small Dog, and Candice Michelle, who um, for a brief period was in WWE. I have nothing else to say about Candice Michelle. Uh, Tory won this match. I mean, it, let's not let's not even talk about it, shall we? Because it was just a load of shit. Um, what we can do is talk about Money in the Bank, which was really, really good. Rob Van Dam won it. Bobby Lashley minus his sisters, Shelton Benjamin, Matt Hardy, 
Ric Flair. Ric Flair was in the match. Um, Amazing. His second ladder match, apparently, according to the to the commentary ever. Um, Rob Van Dam, not somebody we've gone into great detail on, on this on this podcast. Carl, you were you an RVD fan? Oh, I was all in. I used to celebrate at football with the Rob Van Dam with the thumbs. But but did you do? Rob Van Dam, or did you do the confused WWE fan RVD instead? That always really, really bugged me. It's supposed to be Rob Van Dam. I was not very confused. RVD. Well, I was doing Anchor because that made more sense, (laughs) didn't it? Um, Yeah, I really like Rob Van Dam. I really like how dumb this match is. Uh, So Ric Flair rocking up, taking a ladder bump, and then spending 15 minutes just like backstage. Doing the Terry Funk <laughs> yeah, bit, yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, th- my notes say here, oh, wow, Shelton Benjamin really, really, really could have been a top guy. Yeah. Um, one of my favourite, it's very strange to say, one of my favourite Shelton Benjamin moments isn't in wrestling, but it's in one of the wrestling video games, where if you play SmackDown, if you play WWE Raw SmackDown from 2006, you start tagging with Shelton Benjamin against Triple H and Ric Flair, and Shelton Benjamin beats up Ric Flair with a steel chair. And then in-game, Triple H is talking about how much Shelton Benjamin's brutalised Ric Flair. And he goes, look at him. He can't style. He can't even profile. And I was like, oh, if you just gave Shelton more of a character other than I beat Triple H on Raw once, he'd have been a top guy. Absolutely. He's so good in this match. And he's got this weird, like, chaotic energy. So there, you've got certain high flyers where everything's really crisp and clean and obviously you've been practicing so much because you've got a gym background. Whereas Shelton is all, no, I can just jump really high. So I'm going to just like run around. So, yeah, it's great. Um, Carrie, Rob Van Dam's had a couple of runs with WWE. I think uh, towards the end of his first and certainly when he came back and was inexplicably paired with Ricardo Rodriguez, he just um, was guilty of being pretty lazy, I thought, in that he just rolled out his greatest hits in the same order in every match. But this wasn't that. RVD was it? No. This was the good one. This 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 was uh, original RVD. Um, yeah, this this was a fun little match. Again, I've got, got lots of kind of praise for for Shelton Benjamin here. This the springboard off the ladder. I enjoy particularly. Um, yeah, Ric Flair doing one thing and then deciding to bugger off for a bit. Yeah, it's lovely. And this it's a great match. Yeah, he was fifty seven. <laughs> it's just so random that he was there at yeah, all. Exactly. It's just amazing. Um, I'm not sure if this is peak RVD. We, I, I think no. peak RVD was five ten years before ECW. Yeah, and he he delivers one of the worst frog splashes of his career off the ladder. I loved Rob Van Dam when at the time and sort of you know years before going back. I think even then I was nostalgic for the great Rob Van Dam. This uh, Rob Van Dam winning here just felt like a huge sort of the crowd love him. Here's your, here's your guy. Because he didn't really do anything with the belt, yeah, he didn't really do anything with it. He got, so he wins the briefcase. He does something which I really want people to do more, which is announce when he's going to cash in the briefcase. So, which yeah. which a face winning the briefcase should pretty much always do for my money, because yeah. otherwise you're a heel. Yeah. So he announces it. So we get basically one night stand. So for is it a good thing that RVD helped bring her back ECW version two? Mm-hmm. Nah. 
So RVD won that. He went on, as you say, Carl, to cash in successfully on Cena at ECW one night stand. He was the ECW and WWE champ for a very brief period. Um, he was stripped of the WWE title after a drugs bust. He was driving with Sabu. He got caught with cannabis and um, prescription medication that wasn't in the right box that it was supposed to be. It was all quite strange, but he basically blew his shot. But if you're not familiar with RVD, he was um, a good wrestler and a massively underrated promo. You never got to hear him speaking in, in um, WWE per se, although he did at one night stand, but he could cut a promo too. Um, so from that, we're going to go on to... Uh, oh, I just laughed as I read what the match was. Undertaker versus Mark Henry. Um, producer Ben quite rightly points out it was a big, big casket, wasn't it? It was a mini skip. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other than that... Nice purple lining. So, my, my yeah, I kind of I was watching this match saw the mini skip and then I don't really remember much too much about the match because my mind just started wondering about WWE superstars in small places so my notes just say Carlito in a coal bunker Lita in a cutlery drawer NWO in a sauna Baron Corbin locked in a plane toilet the match is going on at this time. I'm just thinking of funny places I'd like to see WWE superstars. Then take it as his usual suicide dive over the casket. I'm oh, back in. It's beautiful. And then my notes are Lana in a lorry, Triple H in a coconut shy, <laughs> Kurt Angle's Hall of Mirrors, Jerry Lawler in jail. Basically, that's... <laughs> Kurt Angle does look like he's been reflected back from a Hall of Mirrors yeah. now, doesn't he? Exactly. So that's a pretty good one. Just looking into the future. <laughs> um... Mark Henry couldn't drag Taker to a good match here. The sort of the, the tide of good Undertaker matches we've had over the last few years uh, has very much turned. It's sort of forgotten a little bit that a lot of Taker Street was was made up of dud matches. The last dud match until Roman Reigns, when he's too old and can't do it mm. anymore, is his last dud match until yeah thirty two. Um, yeah, it, it, it exists. It's one of those. Hey, you want to watch some Undertaker matches? Don't watch. Don't watch Giant Gonzalez. Don't watch one of his Kane matches. Don't watch anything involving Nathan Jones. There you are. Um, also on the show, there was JBL against Chris Benoit and Boogeyman versus Booker, but you know, time's against us. So the Hall of Fame was Bret Hart, Eddie Guerrero, Mean Gene Oakland, Sensational Sherry, Vern Gagne. Uh, for people who don't know who he was, Carrie, talk us through Vern Gagne oh, and why he's in the Hall of Fame. Um. Yeah. Uh... So he was a, well, I guess he was most notably a very, very big promoter. And so it's always quite interesting, I think, when WWE talk about other promoters and promotions, like anything happened that wasn't pre-McMahon. So, um, yeah, I would, I would actually be interested to go back and watch the entire Hall of Fame thing. What, what was the entire speech like? Did anyone, did anyone watch the entire thing? Or remember any of it? No, no if you did, really. though, tweet us at you the Do PU let me podcast. know. Is it worth me watching it? <laughs> also in this class, William the Refrigerator Perry and Tony Atlas, both of whom are black, and the Black Jacks, who are not black. Um, they branded people. They were cowboys. Uh, it was kind of weird. Bret Hart was uncomfortable appearing on the night, according to Howard Finkel. Um, I do. Uh, hang, hang on, hang on, Carrie. Matt Stryker. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like Bret Hart is, was made to look a bit bad here. Yeah. Well, who'd have thought? Appearing. What a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> the reason that he was uncomfortable appearing was that he'd recently had a stroke uh, and part of that was that he'd lost control of his emotions, he felt, so he didn't think that he could stand out there without crying spectacularly. So kind of fair enough? I had no idea. That's once again Bret Hart being fairly low-key and self-restrained or whatever and Vince Van going, huh? Pokey poke. Oh, well, this was how they, they... But also, 
that him not getting that message across. You're just thinking, just tell people you're struggling. Just be aware enough to tell people you're struggling, and we will all feel so we're not just sorry for you we'll all be uh, tried to help you we, we understand why you don't want to turn up and it don't was, allow Vince and WWE to just go oh he just feels uncomfortable well, this it? is it I mean Brett had a live mic the, the day before he could have said something then because presumably he would have thought I'm not sure that I want to kind of do the live Wrestlemania thing he could have done it then but yeah leaving it to WWE to announce that he's not going to be there is allowing them control over your narrative come on Brett this is what you were feuding with Vince over for the previous decade you can't let them control your story no poor Brett kind of sad that it took him having a stroke so he fell off his bike didn't he and that that was what brought it on Um, it it was that that made Vince get in touch with him when he was in hospital and and that's how they they made amends kind of sad that it took that to do it but there you go so that's that was it pretty much Wrestlemania 22 um a really bizarre show it looks now the blood the gore the violence the stalker stuff the sex um very few standout moments i would say jr lost his mind Uh, (laughs) anyone got a wrestlemania moment i do it's uh me and gene oakland absolutely bantering off randy orton (laughs) so there's a there's a great backstage segment where me and gene's being spoken to randy orton comes in and tries to do the heel thing and means like what are you doing go away and just walks away i'm like I love Mean Gene. Um, it's also compounded by there's a great bit where Batista just rocks up. And he's like, hey, it doesn't really matter who wins the title because I'm coming back from injury. I'm going to win that too. Um, but yeah, just a lovely two-minute period where Randy Orton is dumped on twice. <laughs> mean Gene, one of very few people, maybe like, I don't know, Nick Grimshaw, who whenever you see him, he could be any age. Like, you know, he just always looks like that, doesn't he? Carrie, what was your WrestleMania moment from, from this uh, monstrosity? I th- I think Vicky Guerrero in the Hall of Fame uh, kind of recap bit because she looks beautiful and she looks so happy and honoured. And yeah, it was lovely. And Tom? The crowd getting behind Mickey James. The crowd realising that this is a legit woman that deserves to be taken seriously, even, you know, even though the storyline doesn't necessarily suggest that. If you want to keep up with these guys on Twitter, I'm going to see if I can get this right. It's at Carrie Sparkle for Anton. <laughs> no, for Carrie. It's Anchorman 616 for Carl and, of course, Sky Anton for the man who will bring you all the news. Anton to Louis. Next week, we're heading to Hollywood for WrestleMania 21. That means we're continuing to see The Undertaker get younger and younger, like an eyeshadow-wearing Benjamin Button. He'll be kicking Randy Orton's ass, incidentally. And speaking of asses, we're going to see far more of big shows than is necessary as he wears a sumo nappy. But we do get to see Sean and Kurt put on a legitimate wrestling clinic. Find us on the Twitters at the PU Podcast. Rate, review, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. We'll see you back here in Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. 
Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.